baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The rate of positive cases of COVID-19 in our area has dropped to its lowest level since last fall. The same for COVID hospitalizations. We are trending in a much better direction as a country. But the rate of COVID vaccinations has also dropped. The rush to get vaccinated appears to be waning. So often we look at these numbers and blame it on hesitancy when that's not the issue. The issue is access. This week on 880 In-Depth, two prominent health experts in America weigh in on vaccine distribution and equity, vaccine for kids, and the wisdom of a reopening that seems to be happening here at breakneck speed. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Scheld from WCBS News Radio 880. The U.S. is witnessing a change in vaccine distribution strategy, with a significant drop occurring in the number of Americans now getting the shot. Gone soon will be those mass vaccination centers, replaced by programs in many states where family doctors will give you the shots and pharmacies will allow walk-ins. We may soon even see some companies providing workplace COVID vaccines, much like they do with the flu shots. We wanted to talk about it with Dr. Lena Wen, emergency physician and public health professor at George Washington University. She spent time on the phone with our Peter Haskell this week, and the conversation began with what we are now seeing here in the New York area. New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut announced they're lifting all restrictions as of May 19th. Is that a good idea? What do you think? Well, here's the thing. We are trending in a much better direction as a country. Our vaccination rates have dramatically increased thanks to the Biden administration and to the work of so many state and local officials and private entities. We now have over 40% of adult Americans fully vaccinated. Over 100 million adults are fully vaccinated and we're seeing infection rates come down as a result. I do think that for vaccinated individuals, there should not be restrictions on what they can do. Some people are still going to choose to be more cautious, and um, and um, it, it might take them a bit longer to return to pre-pandemic normal activities, but others are ready to come back and go back to indoor restaurants and bars and theaters and so forth, and all of that should be fine. I would caution those who are not yet vaccinated, though. This is still a dangerous time for those individuals. We have more contagious, more virulent variants that are susceptible to the vaccines. And so you should get vaccinated. But those who are not yet vaccinated ideally wait to um, to do some of these higher risk activities until you are fully vaccinated yourself. There's this, this balance that public officials are trying to strike between public health and the economy and mental health. How do, we, how do we try to find that balance and strike that just right? 
At this point in the pandemic, we need to recognize that nothing we do when it comes to coronavirus is going to have zero risk. There is nothing that is zero risk other than staying locked up, not having any human interaction, which none of us would want at this point. But we know that getting vaccinated substantially reduces our risk. Every activity that used to be very high risk is now substantially lower risk. In the same way, being outdoors also substantially reduces risk. And for, so for those who are not yet vaccinated, first of all, consider getting vaccinated soon. But there are some who are not able to be vaccinated. For example, I have two young children, ages one and three. They cannot yet be vaccinated. But I want them to socialize. I want them to have time with their friends, with our loved ones. And so meeting outdoors with others, ideally with those who are vaccinated, um, will also substantially reduce the, the risk as well. And so I do very much agree with you. I think we need to strike that balance. For each person, what they choose might look different from somebody else, depending on their own risk profile and own risk tolerance. But we, I think, need to reconcile at this point that we need to get back to normal. Vaccines and being outdoors help us to do that. But we need to resume as much of pre-pandemic normal as we feel comfortable. The sooner we get everybody vaccinated, of course, the sooner we're able to return to the life as it was um, in 2019 and before. In New York City, we still have an, a vaccine equity problem. 32% of whites have been fully vaccinated compared to 19% of Latinos and 17% of blacks. How do we change that? Well, I agree, first of all, that there is a major vaccine equity issue and that this is something we have to focus specific attention to because if we don't, inequities don't just go away. Disparities don't just go away without specific intention. And so it absolutely is something that we need to work on. I think having the numbers, first of all, is really important. And ideally, having vaccination numbers by neighborhood so that we're able to see where is it that people are not getting vaccinated and then why? Are there access issues? How can we really bring vaccines to people? So often, we look at these numbers and blame it on hesitancy when that's not the issue. The issue is access. So we need to make vaccination the easy and convenient choice. There's so much talk, I think, by individuals about um, about the issue of, well, maybe the people who are not getting vaccinated, look how easy it is to get vaccinated these days. Why aren't they? What's wrong with them? There's often this sense. Well, actually, for a lot of people, getting vaccinated just is not top of mind when there is so much else happening, when there is so much by by way of people needing work and taking care of their children and taking care of older parents. And so we need to redistribute, I believe, vaccines at this point, um, not just from or not just at these mass vaccination sites, but to every doctor's office at the point where somebody is going to see their doctor, they should be able to get the vaccine. Um, community pharmacies should get should all be able to have the vaccine and have it available on a walk in basis, the same way that the flu vaccine is available in the winter. And we need to start bringing vaccines to workplaces. That also helps to normalize vaccination as well. Talking about folks who are not anti-vaxxers, but as you say, are, are busy or aren't sure, just having access problems. Do you think incentives would help gift cards, ball game tickets, cash, anything to get more folks in, in, in the mix here? Yeah, I mean, I think everything helps. 
I do think again that right now there are, um, I, if I were to break it down, I think there are three groups of people who are not yet vaccinated, who can get vaccinated, who are not yet vaccinated. The first group is those who just will not get vaccinated. They are anti-science, anti-vaccine. I don't think that that's the group that we should focus on. The um, the second group are those that we already spoke about, the ones for whom access is the issue, and we need to increase access points, bringing the vaccine to churches, to schools, to workplaces, to all doctor's offices. We really need to work on, again, that access point um, as a, uh, if, if that is the main barrier for, for many people. Then there's the, a third group, and that third group are people who have concerns of some kind. We need to address these concerns, one of those concerns that many people have is, wasn't it for me? I don't think that I'm going to get that sick if I get coronavirus. Um, I, I don't see how my life is going to change, regardless of whether I get the vaccine, help to convince me that I should get it. I know that for many people who were so eager to get the vaccine in the first place, that seems antithetical. They're wondering, you know, how could somebody even be wondering, wasn't it for me? It saves your life. Isn't that enough? But that's actually not enough for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people really want to know that they can get back to normal if they get the vaccine. And I think that kind of incentive is one that we need to do a lot better job of emphasizing. And what role does supply play in all of this? As of this week, more than 106 million people in the U.S. were fully vaccinated. Government figures show that we are now averaging just over 2 million doses administered each day. But that's a 35% decrease from a peak of over 3.3 million just a month ago. So are doses being kept on shelves, or worse, being wasted? There are parts of the country where supply has certainly exceeded demand, where there are mass vaccination sites with thousands of appointments that are going unfilled, um, where there are freezers that are full of vaccine where people are not using them. I really believe that it is our responsibility to redistribute these doses. If they're not being used, they need to, there needs to be effort on the part of the local officials to do more door-to-door outreach or individual outreach. I think that all needs to happen. But also, if they're really not being used in that community, there are still other, other communities around the country that will use these vaccines. And so I, um, I think there needs to be some better thought about getting vaccines to people who really want them and need them, including at some point we need to think about our international partners too. There's this sense that the goal of herd immunity might be slipping away. The Times wrote a big story about it this week. What is your sense of that? And if you can explain what that means if we don't reach herd immunity. Well, I personally don't think that we're going to reach herd immunity anytime soon. We're not going to reach herd immunity in 2021. This is a very contagious virus with variants, um, very likely to reach herd immunity and really put an end to the spread of coronavirus in this country. We're going to need 80%, let's say, of people who are fully vaccinated in this country. I just don't know that we're going to get there when there's 30% of the population that says they're not going to get the vaccine. I don't see how the numbers will add up. Um, and what that means is we'll be able to reduce the infection level once we get vaccinations to be even higher. Um, but come the fall, and we might actually, by the way, have a pretty good summer, but come the fall, we could have a resurgence of coronavirus. Even in the summer, we'll get outbreaks in different parts of the country that have lower vaccination rates. And, uh, and I think there is a worst-case scenario of variants from other countries that could threaten to become dominant here and we could have continuing 
surges of coronavirus um, in perpetuity. Um, obviously, that's not a good scenario. I want us to reach herd immunity. I'm just not sure, given the reluctance expressed in many quarters about the vaccine, how we're possibly going to get there, how we're possibly going to uh, have any chance of getting there until the point that many more of our children are able to be vaccinated. That at least will add up to um, in terms of the total numbers of people who are able to be fully vaccinated. The CDC has put out guidance about behavioral rules. If you've had a shot, if you wear a mask, if you're if you distance socially, but it seems like you need a computer science degree to figure it out. You have written about this. If someone's trying to figure out what to do, how to behave, what's safe, what do you tell them? Is there something simple? Yeah, I mean, I I think that it certainly needs to be a lot simpler than what the CDC guidelines are. I've spent hours staring at them and just cannot figure it out. For example, I literally don't understand how one is supposed to eat with a mask on. The part of the CDC guidelines says that if you are fully vaccinated, you can eat at an outdoor restaurant without your mask. That's great. But if you are not vaccinated, you have to eat at an outdoor restaurant with your mask. (laughs) So I really literally don't understand how to make sense of this. Look, I think there are two things that the CDC, that I would take away from the CDC guidelines. One is anything outdoors much better than anything indoors. In fact, blanket mask mandates need not apply. So even if you're not vaccinated, you can go outdoors. If you're not around other people and can keep physical distancing, or if you're just transiently passing someone with your, when you're walking or biking, you don't need to be wearing a mask. I think that's very clear. That's great. Let's get rid of blanket outdoor mask mandates and say, if you want to wear a mask, great. If you don't want to wear a mask, not necessary if you're not around other people in patch settings. That's the first thing. Second, um, and I, I only have two, uh, two takeaways. The second takeaway is that everything post-vaccination is a lot safer than before vaccination. I would actually just leave it at that and say that people at that point should make the best decision for themselves. Some people are still going to say, for, for me, I've got children at home who are not vaccinated or um, or maybe I'm immunocompromised. I'm not sure how much risk I want to be taking. I still want to use an abundance of caution. So I'll do outdoor activities. I'll see fully vaccinated people. But if I'm going to be around people of mixed vaccination status or unknown vaccination status, I'm going to wear a mask and I'm going to keep my, my distance. Other people are going to say the risk of having COVID for me after being vaccinated is so low. So I'm going to go back to everything I used to do pre-pandemic. I actually think that any range along that spectrum is totally okay. We shouldn't judge people for the choices that they're making because, frankly, once you're fully vaccinated, your risk to others is so low that we should not be focused on the threat to those who are fully or those the threat of those who are fully vaccinated, but we should focus on getting others who are not vaccinated to be vaccinated. Pfizer is expected to get approval to give shots to those 12 and older. What is the significance of that? Yeah, this is a really significant um, uh, event because I know, first of all, um, um, there are many, many parents out there and many 12 to 15 year olds out there who want to be vaccinated. Um, Youth of this age are um, some of the fastest growing when it comes to rate of coronavirus infection. They tend to not get as ill, but they can certainly spread to other people. And um, getting the vaccine for them means that they can return to the aspect of pre-pandemic normal that they've been missing, including youth sports, including hanging out with one another um, without 
um, w- without risk and so or without much risk. And so, you know, I so I think that many youth are very eager to get the vaccine and being able to do so before the next school year and even in time for the summer will allow them to engage in many activities that they wouldn't have otherwise. Dr. Nguyen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Peter. Nice to talk to you. Getting kids back into a more normal rhythm is definitely a healthcare priority in America now. We also heard that from Dr. Erwin Redlener. He's the founding director of the National Center for Disaster Preparedness at Columbia University's Earth Institute. He also runs the Pandemic Resource and Response Initiative there and is a senior research scholar. Dr. Redlener has been a frequent in-depth resource over this past year. He spoke to our Peter Haskell this week and began the conversation about getting vaccine approval for children. Well, uh, ultimately, it's really important that we're going to need to vaccinate uh, most children in America because we're not going to be able to reach anything resembling herd immunity uh, if we have 23% of the population not getting vaccinated. This is going to be a a uh, gradual process starting with 12 to 15 rolls and then gradually working our way down uh, getting more and more approval from the fda for younger children down to you know really infancy and i think that's important for two reasons one we need them vaccinated for the uh, purposes of getting herd immunity and secondly i think we're going to be seeing we are seeing already more instances of children uh, getting infected, and I think we need to protect them with vaccine. There's talk that by the fall, children tune up might be able to get the shot. Two things there. One is, how does that play into the herd immunity you referred to? And two is, should parents be concerned about kids that young? Well, I think parents are always going to be concerned, and legitimately so. But um, I think at the end of the day, we are going to have to have a way of helping parents understand how important this is. And uh, so we don't really get uh, an outbreak that's really focused on children, which is not out of the question. Uh, That said, parents are going to be reluctant. They're going to be nervous. Some parents that uh, they're going to be giving their children a vaccine that may have some risk. We don't think that's going to be the case. And by the time it's approved, uh, for children at, in any age category, there'll be plenty of uh, research being done to establish safety as well as efficacy. We have had uh, over a year now a lot of kids dealing with remote schooling. What what do you think the impact of that has been? The impact of remote schooling has been extremely variable. Uh, some kids are thriving in it, no problem. And some children have been abandoned by it. In other words, they, uh, for a variety of reasons, they may not have broadband. They may not have the hardware needed to participate. They may not have the uh, family support uh, needed to make sure that they stay on track. So it's been a very mixed bag. And I think some kids will do okay, but there's other kids who are going to need a lot of remediation uh, when all is said and done here. We hear people talking about a lost year of schooling. How real is that, and how difficult is that to make up? I think it's quite real that there are going to be lots of children who have 
in effect lost a year of their educational trajectory. Um, and those are precisely the amount of the, uh, precisely the children are going to have a difficulty catching up. So we're going to need some very well-funded plans to make sure that children who have had uh, serious problems accessing school for a year uh, do have a way to uh, to make up time, whether it's, uh, you know, longer school days, um, reduced summer vacation, which I'm a big fan of, or whatever else we're going to do, but we're going to we're going to have to address this. When I talk to parents, I hear a lot of people talk about kids who are anxious, they're depressed, they they're not as enthusiastic about things they like, they're not as willing to leave the house. How do how do we deal with that? Well, the first thing is we have to recognize it. So the first message here is really for parents. Do you, um, are you, you know, paying attention to your child's behavior? Uh, are they sleeping okay? Are, are their personalities changing? Are they more aggressive? Are they um, uh, looking, uh, you know, depressed? Are they less communicative and so on? And all these things can be addressed in the first order by parents who can spend more time with them, give, give their kids an opportunity to express themselves and so on. <clears throat> but sometimes... We need more than just the parents. We need to, the pediatricians. We might need counseling, but first line of defense and first line of observation, of course, is with parents. Another thing that parents talk a lot about based on this isolation is screen time, the amount of screen time kids are spending. Should parents be worried about that? Should they try to crack down or should they just let it go? Well, Theoretically, we might want to clamp down. In reality, for families that are cooped up inside and people are working remotely, <clears throat> um, it's really, really difficult. You know, you don't want to be having constant battles with your children about shutting off the screen because it's extremely uh, seductive for kids to be just focused, zoning out, uh, doing things on screen and watching television very passively or playing games and so on. Um, so I, this is a tough one, but uh, like I said, theoretically, yes, we don't want kids to be overdoing it, but uh, in reality, this is a really big problem for a lot of families. Just think about this. If, you're, if you have one parent or both parents working remotely, they have to be able to work. They have to be able to stay focused on their own computers and their own uh, work assignments and agendas. Um, and, uh, you, you know, there's not likely to be anyone else in the house who can work with or interact with the kids. So we're facing a dilemma, um, that is different from when pre pandemic parents would go to work, kids would go to school and, you know, you know, that was the system now that we used to experience is definitely busted. Do we have any idea what the long-term effects of all of this might be? And is there any kind of comparison to some other kind of natural disaster or something else? Well, because of this very long um, disruption, especially in school, we're facing the possibility of some very severe long-term outcome. Um, that, uh, you know, for example, if we can't do proper re remediation of children of lost school that could translate to not graduating on time, not doing well in later years in school, 
which could interfere with, um, you know, child's ability to reach his or her full potential and ending up in the criminal justice system. There are very serious long-term possibilities that we need to be focused on as much as we can. But this is one of the reasons that focusing on children is so critically important here. We also wanted to hear from Dr. Redlander about the pace of reopening we're seeing across the New York area. It seems barely a day goes by that some restriction isn't dropped or eased. The reopening is happening pretty quickly here. And Dr. Redlander told us... You know, I think it's awfully soon. And, you know, we're still getting, you know, 40,000 or so new cases a day around the country. Um, we still have plenty of people who are not vaccinated, although we're making good progress there. And um, I, you know, I would, I would not have opened or announced an opening that's um, still in this month. But we'll see. I've been wrong before, and, and hopefully uh, they're making a decision that that uh, that will make sense and will keep still keep people safe, but get everything going uh, to some semblance of normal soon. So. Um, you know, this is a tough one because like I said, I would say probably wait until June, but you know, I don't really know, nor do any other so-called experts know, uh, the right answer to this. And obviously for society, the sooner the better, uh, to tamp down fully the disease. So we're not getting more than, let's say 500 cases a day, not 40,000 cases a day would be probably safer from a public health point of view. We see that the number of vaccinations are declining. How do we go about reaching the folks who have not yet gotten a shot? Well, there's a lot of reasons why people are not getting the shot. So some people are vaccine hesitant. In other words, they, they still have questions. They want, they want, they want to know, um, more detail about the consequences of getting the shot or not getting. They want to know more about complications and so on. Those people can be provided those answers. Then there are people who are vaccine resistant and they're saying, in essence, under no circumstances am I going to get vaccinated? Those are more difficult. So we're running up against a wall here of increasingly tough challenges in getting uh, many more people vaccinated. But each one of these groups is going to require a different approach. We have people in um, traditionally minority communities who don't trust the government, period. Um, African-Americans, for example. Um, so all these variants of why people are not getting vaccinated as readily and as enthusiastically as they were before have to be understood in specific um, strategies developed to respond to each one of these groups. There's a lot of talk about the need for the likely need of vaccine boosters. What do you hear about the possibility boosters could either be pills or coupled with a flu shot or something similar? It is very likely because there are variants that we know about already with the virus that uh, whatever vaccine protection you got this year may not be valid uh, for next year. And so it is highly likely, in my opinion, that we need booster shots and that those booster shots might just be combined in the uh, regular annual flu shot that people get every year. What advantage would that bring? So, yeah, it would allow us to keep up with any 
mutations or variants that otherwise could get out get out of control. And uh, we don't know what those would be, so that would have to be assessed on an annual basis. But that should be fine, and I am in favor of that. I want to ask you about what we are seeing in India now and the catastrophic nature of the virus there. Uh, two things. One, what first, what is your take on what's going on there? And two, is there a potential impact here? Yeah, so what's going on in India right now is uh, an extraordinary uh, apocalyptic um, situation with respect to the, uh, the virus and the pandemic being out of control, overwhelming hospitals. Hospitals are out of oxygen. Um, hospitals are struggling to uh, staff up uh, uh, the medical facilities. Um, hospitals are running out of antibiotics. Everything is uh, in very much dire straits there. And uh, they're also running out of vaccines and um, chemical ventilators and everything. So they, there's a global need there in this massively large country. And um, it is very uh, concerning. And because they're not even doing enough testing or sequencing of the, uh, the virus and DNAs, we don't even know the extent of the variants that they're dealing with. And all this, of course, represents a danger to the rest of the world, including the United States, because there's no way viruses can be contained uh, anywhere, including in India. So eventually, if we have runaway uh, viruses that are, uh, you know, mutating rapidly, they the chance of them um, manifesting outside of uh, the country in India itself India itself are great. The variants that we're seeing in India mm-hmm. are those new mutations or are those things that have been seen before? Yeah. Well, it's hard to know because they're not really doing enough sequencing to know exactly what the variants are. There are some variants that we do know about in India that are different and are new, but there are many, many, many that we don't even know about yet. What are the implications for that here then? Well, the implications are that we may be soon seeing new variants that have been, let's say, erupting in India or Brazil, for that matter, that could end or that could end up here in the United States. So we're going to have to be very vigilant to make sure that we're not seeing these new variants and that the new variants are not causing uh, upsurges in disease here in the U.S. Before I let you go, I just want to get your take on what we should expect here in in this area, this summer and this fall. What do you expect? It's so hard to say, Peter. You know, I know that people like like predictions, but I think we've seen over and over again that predictions, one way or the other, are not necessarily uh, actually predictive. Um, We can make speculative statements about where, where we think things will be. Um, and if you're in the government, you're saying that, well, we're looking at pretty optimistic uh, realities this summer and this fall, but no one knows. It depends on what variants are out there and other factors, how many people we end up getting vaccinated, will we have herd immunity, and so on. So uh, I'm hoping for the best. All right, Erwin, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Of course, always. 
thanks to Peter Haskell and Dr. Erwin Redlener, and before him, Dr. Lena Wen. 880 In-Depth is a weekly presentation from WCBS News Radio 880. The executive producers are Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Scheld. You can hear 880 In-Depth on demand. Just search for 880 In-Depth wherever you get your audio. And of course, our home base for all things audio is the Odyssey app. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y, Odyssey. Thank you for listening, and as always, be safe. in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 